0: what's going on wellness gang welcome back to embodied wellness radio a podcast framed around making women healthy again and today we are going to talk about one of my all-time favorite topics which is blood sugar balance and this is something that gets a lot of discussion in the media right we see on social media all the time hacks to balance your blood sugar keep your blood sugar stable insulin resistance this insulin sensitivity that And really, there's a lot of uh, misunderstanding about what that actually means, and many people are familiar with the terms, but maybe not necessarily familiar with how to apply those to their body or what it truly means.
1: What's going on, everybody? My name is Dan. I'm the other co-host. Sarah likes to get into it sometimes, but I'm here too. (laughs) I'm here too. Waste no
0: time. Just get right into it.
1: So let's get right into it. What is blood sugar?
0: So, blood sugar is a measure of glucose in the bloodstream and i'll explain to you a little bit about how this works when we're talking about it in relation to nutrition or food which is going to be a large part of our discussion today so when we eat a meal whether that's carbs protein fats or ideally a blend of all of those our body starts to digest that and it moves some of that energy into the bloodstream so we would have the glucose in our bloodstream aka our blood sugar would increase in response to having that meal for the most part, again, depending on the balance, which we'll get a little bit into. And so what your body does when we have higher than our normal or baseline amounts of sugar in the bloodstream is secrete a hormone called insulin. And insulin's job is to shuttle some of that sugar or that glucose out of the bloodstream into cells to be available to use to energy or to be stored for later. So insulin is a storage hormone. All right, so we talked a little bit about blood sugar balance and how it works with insulin, but let's talk about why it's even important, like why the heck are we recording this episode and how it might feel for you to be out of balance and in balance with your blood sugar. So blood sugar dysregulations uh, chronically over time can have profound effects on our health or lack thereof. So one of the big ones, of course, that we hear about all the time are metabolic issues such as diabetes, so type 2 diabetes, insulin resistance, and prediabetes. So these are blood sugar dysregulations that can then lead to a lot of symptoms such as weight gain, chronic fatigue. Um, You can start to get some dark discoloration on your skin. This can also be a huge driver of some gynecological issues such as um, PCOS. We can also see it impact our hormones. It can affect our periods. It can lead to thyroid issues, hypothyroidism later on. It puts you at a really big risk for things like dementia later in life. Dementia is actually being called type 3 diabetes Mm -hmm. and so there's a there's a huge impact that it has not only just on our blood sugar and our body composition but on all of the systems of our body and I always like to talk about hormone balance as a pyramid, right? So right at the bottom of the most important ones, we have our cortisol or a stress response, our adrenal health, as well as blood sugar and insulin. So that would be the most foundational. When those two are off, all of our other hormone levels are also going to be off. Right above that, we have the thyroid. And then at the top of the pyramid, we have some of our sex hormones. Now, mind you, there are way more (laughs) hormones in the body, but these are really the ones that we focus on when we're looking at uh, functional interpretations or supporting people back to balance. So that just goes to show how important blood sugar is not only for, again, like the way that you feel day to day and your energy levels, but also for your hormone status as a whole. Because as we know and have heard, if you've ever listened to Sarah talk, nothing in the body happens in isolation. And so this blood sugar is really at the heart of that and plays such a crucial role. So that's a little bit more on the physiological side of things, but even from a a listener perspective right you might feel when your blood sugar is off so some pretty big ones um, people might feel like if they have something that is too high in carbohydrates their blood sugar will spike so we'll see a big increase increase and then after that it comes crashing down so when we have that large spike followed by a big dip that makes you feel tired lethargic have a lot of cravings. It can make you feel um, brain fog, right? Fuzzy thinking, uh, inability to focus, irritability, low mood, anxiety when you have potentially high or low blood sugar. And so we're seeing all of these issues which people experience all the time. I know you're listening to that like, oh my God, that's me. Oh my God, yes, yes. I struggle with focus, I feel tired. (laughs) And it's because it's so, so common to see these um, blood sugar imbalances. So again, when we have balanced blood sugar, let's look at that side of things. We feel calm for the most part, we feel more stable. We can go for longer amounts of time without eating, right? So we can maintain, um, we can keep a longer space in between our meals because our blood sugar is stable enough to continue to support us between that meal timing. We are able to think more clearly, we have more sustained energy, our mood feels more stable, and so we're really looking at like mood, energy, focus, cravings, and hunger levels when we're talking about blood sugar balance. Of course, there are some other ones, but those are the main markers we're looking for. So again, on a day-to-day basis, um, you can feel blood sugar irregularities show up in the ways that I just described, and when we're looking at this long-term and the systemic effects that it can have, we're also seeing issues with brain and cognitive health, our hormones Status, our body composition, our, our heart health even, and our risk for a lot of chronic diseases. So again, when we have a rise in blood sugar, your body will secrete insulin, which helps to move some of that out of the bloodstream and into the cells. Now, when we're talking about you know things like insulin resistance or issues with blood sugar balance, um, in cases like type 1 diabetes, the person might not be able to produce insulin. And so therefore they would be taking insulin to help that process. So those with type 1 diabetes will typically have really elevated levels of blood sugar, which is why they need that insulin to be able to help keep their blood sugar stable and to manage it type 2 diabetes or insulin resistance, their body still can produce insulin. However, there is a dysregulation which leads to chronically elevated blood sugar. And so this is why it might be important to use things like metformin is a medication that can really help with that, or there's some more natural forms or the tips that we're talking about today, which can be really, really beneficial. And both in myself and in our practice at Embodied Wellness Co., we've helped many clients be able to reverse prediabetes and type 2 diabetes using some of the things that we're going to discuss today. So again, talking about balanced blood sugar means we have a good amount of sugar in our bloodstream, not too high and not too low. And insulin is a really important hormone in helping to regulate the sugar in our bloodstream.
1: So let's start off with tip number one.
0: So tip number one, I alluded to a little bit, which is to have balanced meals. Now, many people, when they first start working with us, we always have our clients write down what they're eating and send over a food log for four days. What we often see is that clients are severely under eating things such as protein is a really big one in some cases due to a lot of um, diet culture or maybe the time that the uh, the client grew up. There's also a big There's also many people who are under eating fats as well. And so what we typically see is higher carb meals or just meals that are pretty much air and vegetables. And both of these cannot be that great for our blood sugar. So when we're looking at the digestibility of macronutrients, and when we talk about macronutrients, we're referring to um, things that make up food. And the big ones are protein, carbohydrates, and fats, which many of us might have heard of. So carbs are the quickest to digest. So if I was going to eat a piece of fruit, my body can break that down and I'm gonna get an immediate surge of glucose in my bloodstream. And so carbs are the quickest to digest. So if I eat a meal that's really high in carbs, specifically those uh, simple, easy to digest carbohydrates, that's going to have a lot bigger impact on my blood sugar than if I was going to eat something such as protein or fats. So this is why we always wanna look at meal balance. So when I'm talking about a balance, meal, which we've mentioned before on podcasts, we're really referring to a meal including protein, carbohydrates, fats, and some sort of fiber. And these macronutrients beautifully work together to help maintain blood sugar stability and to help your body to uh, to digest that food and for it to move into the bloodstream at a rate that's not going to have a huge impact on your blood sugar. So the importance of protein at meals for blood sugar stability is that it takes a lot more energy for our body to break down protein than it does to break down carbohydrates now fats are pretty much like putting a little blanket on your carbohydrates right so imagine like uh, we're giving them a little bit of clothes so that they can stay more stable and we're essentially wrapping them up and so again we'll just increase the amount of time that it takes for your body to be able to break down that meal. Fiber is really important because it does help to, again, buffer the impact or it has on your blood sugar due to the fact it's going to slow down things like gastric emptying. So how long it takes for food to leave the stomach. And it's also going to slow down how quickly your body is able to break down that food source and use it for immediate energy. So again, we want to always be looking at amounts of carbs, fats, protein, and fiber at meals and meals that are higher in carbohydrates might have a bigger impact on your blood sugar, therefore leading to blood sugar spikes, which will eventually lead to blood sugar crashes. And so, having that beautiful blend of macronutrients does allow our blood sugar to stay more stable and optimizes how quick we are digesting our food.
1: So, one quick actionable tip for people is because, like, you might have all this good information and you're like, okay, that makes sense. So, I should have fats proteins and carbs but the issue is is that you might not know the actual values of how much of those things so like if we were to look at our plate for example and to split it into three so if if we just hypothetically are getting 33.3 percent of each one of those things on our plate you know split into three um, but you don't know how much is actually valued of each right because you don't want to have a balance of way off balance of like for example 80 grams of carbs five grams of protein and maybe three grams of fat that's still out of balance and you're going to likely have a blood sugar spike effect out of that if it's like a, a high glycemic carbohydrate like bread or sometimes even pasta right um, so one thing that you can actually do for this is I do recommend a, a food scale is important and when you start to even eat your meals over the next couple of days uh, there, there's apps that you can use um, fat secret what's another good app
0: I really like Chronometer. Um, it's a great app to track your food which will also give you a breakdown of your nutrients, so micronutrients, vitamins, minerals, as well as the balance between uh, certain minerals like omega-3 to omega-6 ratios really, really in-depth, a really beautiful app that gives you lots of information on what you're taking in, not only on a macronutrient level, but also on a micronutrient level, and that is not sponsored.
1: But we are not going to overwhelm you right now. MyFitnessPal is basically the other app that we've used in the past, but Chronometer seems to have like totally gone over top. But you can do a little bit of research on your own on what you're eating to kind of see what your balance is like, right? Um, the trickiest thing in the world is like, we were saying in the beginning, like diet culture, for example, has, has a lot of an, an issue around misinformation, but there's misinformation in general. I know I, I met somebody a while back who basically claimed that they were eating a cup of broccoli and saying that was enough high protein for the day. We see that a lot in the plant-based community, right? I was so, thinking
0: that sprinkling hemp hearts on their oats or putting a tablespoon of a peanut butter is a good source of protein, babe.
1: Yeah, you want like a minimum 30 grams protein, that's that's really going to be helpful. And like, obviously, depending on your body weight, and how much you need in a day, but per meal, in in order to support uh, muscle protein synthesis within the body, you're looking for a minimum 30 grams of protein. Most people have no idea what 30 grams of protein looks like. Therefore, you need to probably start measuring your food, a food scale costs 20 bucks at Walmart, I do recommend that for your long-term health because you start you need to start to understand and see what you're eating and kind of what it looks like on your plate so that you can guess maybe when you're out.
0: Yeah. And I think that it's also important to note that, you know, when I say balanced meals, that's unique to the individual. So a balanced meal for me looks different than a balanced meal for Denon, looks different than a balanced meal for my mom, looks different than a balanced meal for ronda rousey right so it's really important to to start to understand these things for your body and starting with you know 30 grams of protein is a really great marker as denon mentioned that's usually like four to six ounces of muscle meat um that's about i think five eggs off the top of my head so it is quite a significant amount of protein and you can look online as well even googling like 30 grams of protein worth of steak and they'll let you know right so if you're not ready or wanting to go into an app, there's lots of great resources out there and starting to take note of how you feel. And we've talked about this on podcasts before, right? So if I eat a meal, Do I feel satiated for three to four to five hours after that? If I eat this meal, do I feel tired like one to two hours after that? If I'm eating a meal in this balance, do I feel really energized after eating it for a good amount of time? And so we're looking for these markers on how we feel when we're trying out different blends or um, different balances of macronutrients at meals. And then when you start to gather this information on your own about your body, that's how we really individualize nutrition. We try something out, we take notice, we write it down. How did I feel? And then we look for patterns. Oh, I notice when I'm eating X amount of protein around this many carbs and, you know, around this much fat, I feel really good. But if I have a little bit too much carbs, then I'm not feeling that great or I'm having energy crashes. And this is also what we do as coaches, right? With our clients, we have all of our clients log their food as well as their symptoms every single week. And at their check-ins, I go in, I review, I say, Hey, Anna, I could see here that, you know, every time that uh, you're eating this, this week, you might be feeling X, X and Y way. Have you noticed that? And she's like, no, I never noticed that. But now that you say that, yeah, I can see how that's true. And we're like, okay, maybe that's not working in a great way for you and your goals right now. Can we try this shift? And she's like, yeah, definitely. And that's how we start to individualize nutrition, right? There is no black and white answer of like, everybody must eat this for balanced blood sugar because we're all so different and learning to uh, understand in your body how, how things feel and how it feels to have stable blood sugar is really what's going to allow you to move forward in a way that's right for you.
1: However, it does require measurability. If you just try to do all of these things and remember them, it's probably not going to work very well. That's where the apps work very well using a notebook, for example, like a daily log of what I ate and then notes a couple hours later after the meals. Like if you notice something, like for example, if the energy crashes, you're going to notice that. Okay, I need to write that in my book. And then you can track it back and actually see that. So for the dozens of people that message us all the time, who are not like, you know, applying for coaching or anything like that. And they're just like, I feel like I've tried everything. Guarantee every single one of those people have never actually made a log of what they've eaten and started with these fundamental basics before they've actually tried to take anything further. A lot of you can help to fix a lot of your own issues before taking it a step further, just by doing some of these simple things, simple, easy, but you have to do the work.
0: Yeah and I think um it's really empowering from you know a client standpoint or if you're listening to this it's really empowering to start to learn how to how to take note of what works and doesn't work in your own body. I all the time on consultation calls have clients say like oh you know I randomly get stomach pains or I randomly this randomly that and I always reply back is There's nothing random. There's just patterns we haven't found or looked for. And you know, many clients will admit like, yeah, you know, probably is something or they'll even say it before I mention it. Yeah. So, you know, I'm pretty bloated. Sometimes some days I'm not could be due to something I'm eating, but I just haven't really looked into it. Right. So this is a really great way to start to inquire about what feels good for our body. And again, to move forward in a way that's individual for us and not feel like we always need to outsource our own like programming or our own knowledge or our innate knowledge of our body to people that we see online. And our job as coaches is not always just to tell clients exactly what to do. It's to help teach and empower clients of how to learn these things for their own body and make them autonomous in their journey and understanding how to care for their body as an individual.
1: And not just that, but my body and the notes that I take for it right now is going to be different than five years from now. It's also going to be different than 15 years from now. Our bodies change over time. I'm going to react to things differently than I did even 10 years ago, right? So that's why creating these habits now and knowing how to do that, building that skill set that you can have in your tool belt to pull out whenever you need, when you start to feel off, it's important to start to practice these things now.
0: Mm -hmm. So let's take it back to um, tip number one for blood sugar balance is to eat balanced meals. I'm going to give you a very generalized visual just for you to begin to start to um, apply this. So if we're thinking about what's on our plate, the standard that could be good for a lot of people is starting with about half of your plate full of some type of vegetable, Um, And then about a palm's worth worth of carbohydrates. So that could be something like two thirds cups of quinoa, maybe depending on your body, a little bit more than that. Some sort of rice could also be a serving of fruit. So like cup of pineapple, an apple that also counts as a carbohydrate source. I like to go a little bit bigger than my palms worth of protein. Again, this is something that's really good to start to measure out usually around four to six ounces, and then about a thumb's worth of fat. So that could be having a protein source that also has some fat like steak, for example, or salmon, plus a tablespoon of olive oil to cook in, something along the lines of half of an avocado. So just to give you a little bit more of an actionable takeaway to start to understand this balance in your body.
1: So tip number two kind of ties into tip number one. They go hand in hand, and that's not eating naked carbs. Please explain.
0: All right, so all my clients know that I love to say no naked carbs, put some clothes on your carbs. And really, it's just a cute way to say that we always want uh, our carbs to be paired with another macronutrient. So again, going back to macronutrients, we have protein, we have carbohydrates, and we have fat. So if we are only having, I talked a little bit about this already, if we're only having a carb source, our body is going to really quickly be able to break that down and use it for energy. And in some cases, this can be really beneficial, right? If somebody is having low blood sugar or if I need some quick energy before a workout, we might want to utilize this knowledge to, um, to best serve us, right? So that's why you'll often see, you know, athletes having a banana before they work out or a piece of fruit or some, you know, coconut water before they're training to get that immediate energy because it is going to impact our blood sugar or the availability of that energy really, really quickly. So in some cases that could be ideal, but for the average person who's like, I need a little bit of a snack, probably not great because what happens when we don't pair our carbohydrates with a protein or a fat is our body breaks it down. It has that energy available in the bloodstream and that can then lead to a crash later on. And when we have energy crashes, as we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, this can lead to cravings. This can lead to brain fog, energy dips, inability to focus. And so it's probably not ideal for, you know, the average person who just wants a snack to tide them over or needs a little something in the afternoon while they're working. We don't want to be riding on that blood sugar roller coaster. So pairing your carbohydrate with a protein, a fat, or both with snacks can be a really great way to support blood sugar stability, to have more sustained energy and for your um, body to feel better in having that snack long-term. So let's talk about some examples. You know, many people like having a quote unquote healthy snack of fruit. Fruit is great. Fruit is very mineral dense. I love fruit. I have like at least a few servings every single day. And we ideally wanna be pairing that with some sort of like a nut or some cheese to help keep that stability. So a couple examples could be Greek yogurt and berries, maybe some cottage cheese with pineapple is a really good one. I love having an apple with some cheese. You could do some berries with some nuts or seeds. So just always thinking about putting some clothes on your carbs and not eating carbohydrates on their own to allow that stability for your blood sugar. And this is a pretty simple one to to put into context, right? So we always just want to be thinking of maybe pairing a couple things while we're having snacks and just noticing how much better you probably feel after that and how much longer you have that sustained energy for when you're pairing your carbohydrates. So again, we want meal balance. So protein, carbs, fats, and some fiber at meals, really important to start to learn how to individualize that balance for you. And then snacking guideline is no naked carbs. So putting some clothes on your carbs and always pairing them with protein, protein, a fat, or both.
1: So like I said, those two kind of, you know, are come, come hand in hand. They're quite tied together. And a pretty good idea if you're number in tip number one, if your meal is unbalanced, and as well as tip number two, if you're eating a ton of naked carbs at one time, is everybody knows the feeling of a carb coma. If you're getting a carb coma, that's probably worth writing down into your notes. A, that's either due to the fact that your your meal is likely very unbalanced, or B, you know when you've had like an entire box of Oreos, you don't don't need to to take note at that. You know that was probably not a good idea. So you don't need to take a note of that. You just need to take an awareness of your responsibility when it comes to nighttime snacking. (laughs) Because I know I can be bad for that too. Those Siete chippies creep up on me in the late nights and start staring at me with their hungry eyes. But let's move on to tip number three.
0: So before we get into that, I just want to make a quick note of um, something else that's really big to look at, which is starting your day with something that is stabilizing for your blood sugar. So this is going to be like 2.2.5 this tip. Yeah,
1: tip 2.5. So, yeah,
0: tip 2.5. And I talked a little bit about this when we talked about um when we talked about cortisol and the impact that that can have on your blood sugar in the morning. But if we're starting our day with a blood sugar spike, Or we're starting our day, you know, maybe with a coffee, which can lead to low blood sugar later on. And the first thing that we do that day is have dysregulated blood sugar. That is setting us up for blood sugar dysregulations for the rest of the day. So common breakfasts I see all of the time on client onboarding forums: toast with some jam, or toast with a little bit of peanut butter, or toast with some butter. Oatmeal sprinkled with hemp hearts and chia seeds and berries and peanut butter. Thinking like, wow, this this is really going to balance my blood sugar. But we have with maple syrup on top too. But we have to again look at that meal balance. But and, it's organic, so that's fine. Yeah, we have to look at the meal balance and look and say, okay, maybe this does have a little bit of protein and fat, but the majority of this is a pretty ha- pretty carb heavy and quick digesting source of energy. So then I'll often see clients reporting back later on that they're like so tired right after lunch. I can't keep my eyes open. I'm so tired. I have trouble focusing at work. And it's really because they start their day with a breakfast that is spiking their blood sugar and then it comes crashing down, right? And then they're going to have more cravings. They're going to struggle with energy. They're going to struggle with focus. They're going to want to eat something else. They need a little pick-me-up. So then they have another coffee and then their blood sugar is crashing again after that because they have you know, a latte with vanilla in it or oat milk. <laughs> they have the dang oat milk latte. Yeah, oat milk's
1: pretty bad for people.
0: <laughs> yeah, oat milk is also very high glycemic. And so it's really about uh, looking at what you start your day with as well, which sets the tone for the rest of the day. There was a study done... few years ago now, must've been about 10 years ago that showed how having a savory, lower carbohydrate breakfast allows for greater blood sugar regulation through the rest of the day. And you guys know that I was wearing a blood sugar monitor for a few months. And I really saw that to be true. When I started my day with, you know, a really high protein, high fat and high fiber focused breakfast or protein forward breakfast, my blood sugar for the rest of the day was a lot more stable. And so Meal balance is really important and I especially just want to point out the importance of having a blood sugar supporting breakfast and the impact that can have on the rest of your day and also point out how I realize a barrier of entry to doing that is time for a lot of people. You know, we work with a lot of busy moms or they have jobs and they got to take their kids to school. So they're just grabbing whatever is quick and convenient in the morning and so starting to learn about some of the more convenient options that set you up for better success with blood sugar stability can also be helpful. A couple really actionable items, hard boiled eggs and a piece of fruit. You can just grab that and go Um, protein smoothie in the morning as long as it has, you know, some protein, some sort of fat, a little bit of berries like all of these can be really great quick options that aren't going to uh, force you to spend more time making breakfast in the morning, but can really help regulate your energy and give you more stamina and energy and focus to go about all your busy mom or busy woman, busy man activities throughout the day
1: absolutely or my favorite because i got the time is i make a nice cheesy vegetable omelet so so good one of my favorite breakfast things that gives me energy later in the day so uh oh yeah another thing by the way just because your cereal is organic does not mean it's healthy i've seen this over and over and over again over the years and it might have 30 grams of sugar but just because they slap a big fat organic label on it does not mean it's healthy but that's going to move us into the final two tips. These two tips, I would say are probably the most overlooked things. When we think of blood sugar, we always think about only what we put in our mouth, but there's other things and other factors that are influencing our blood sugar throughout the day. So tip number three is getting yoked, bro. Actually, not really. Even two to three pounds of muscle can make a humongous difference on your body and daily movement.
0: Yeah. So We talk a lot about nutrition and the importance of that in blood sugar balance, because it is very, very important. And, you know, unfortunately, there is this paradigm where a lot of people think if they have blood sugar issues, PCOS, insulin resistance, they need to cut out carbohydrates, which is not true. And we'll save that for a different podcast. (laughs) But we also want to work on the other side of that, which is improving our body's ability to utilize that sugar, right? So we don't always want to be in symptom management where I'm, I'm always, you know, like, having to feel like I can't eat any carbohydrates or else my blood sugar is hooped for the rest of the day. We wanna be able to eat in a balanced way and also be able to optimize the way that our body utilizes the carbohydrates or the or the food that we are taking in. So nutrition is part of the puzzle. And then, yeah, muscle, movement, stress, and some other things we're about to get into also play a really big role. Yeah, so you don't if,
1: need to go keto. Like, that's not what we're saying here. No, but, definitely but not. Definitely adjusting, not. like even... I wouldn't don't even call it cyclical keto, just timing of your nutrients a little bit better.
0: Mm -hmm. So if we go back to what we mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, which is a little bit about how insulin works, right? So if we have... Um, high levels of sugar in the bloodstream and your body secretes insulin and says, hey, we're gonna move some of that into cells. That would be like the front door for sugar in your bloodstream. But we also have a way to use some of the sugar in your bloodstream through what we would consider a back door, which is movement. So if you eat a meal that maybe is higher in carbohydrates or maybe you just wanna optimize your blood sugar balance after meals or maybe you're struggling with something like insulin resistance or type 2 diabetes, pre-diabetes, including some daily movement is very crucial and especially after meals. So a really great way to optimize blood sugar balance is to go on a short walk after eating. So let's say you have dinner, maybe your dinner's a little bit heavier, going on a 10, 15, 20 minute walk can be a great way to support blood sugar stability. It's also really great to just get up and move around a little bit after you eat so that we're able to, again, utilize some of that sugar immediately for energy. So the idea behind this is we're taking some of the sugar in the bloodstream and we're using it for immediate energy. So that part of it might not necessarily need to be shuttled into the cells because we're using it to fuel that movement. And that doesn't mean it has to be an intense workout. Like I use the example of walking because walking is probably the best and it can also help a lot with digestion after meals.
1: By far the most underrated form of activity for anyone ever.
0: Yes. And then on top of that, so we have walking after meals can be helpful and strength or resistance training to put on lean muscle mass is a severely, severely overlooked part of blood sugar stability. So muscle is actually a primary source of glucose disposal, meaning that your muscles got to eat sister, brother. So our muscles are going to be able to um, increase our insulin sensitivity and help with that blood sugar regulation. So the more lean muscle we have, typically the better our blood sugar regulation is, and the uh, better our body is able to deal with those carbohydrates. So including resistance training in your weekly uh, workout routine can be a really great way to optimize blood sugar balance and really focusing on and prioritizing putting on that lean muscle mass. And this doesn't mean you have to get huge or be a bodybuilder. Even you know three resistance training sessions a week just to help uh, build that lean muscle mass and to help with the insulin sensitivity and glucose disposal can be huge.
1: Also, you have no idea how hard it is to get huge. So don't think for two seconds that lifting weights two or three times a week, you're all of a sudden going to look like some massive female bodybuilder from the 90s. You have no idea how hard it is to get big.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So again, we have um, exercise which can be used as a backdoor for some of the sugar in your bloodstream, as well as having that lean muscle mass, which is a primary source, uh, primary site of glucose disposal, which can really help to maintain blood sugar levels just across the board.
1: Cool. And this moves us into the final thing. And wow, I think you've heard about this one every single podcast we've ever done. And that's because, well, the foundations that we speak about on kind of many different types of illnesses, diseases, and all those things, many times, not all the time, but many times stem back to the fact that we as humans have fundamental needs that have to be covered every single day. And this one, monitoring your stress and your rest is a critical one.
0: All right, so this one is, again, very overlooked. I will also admit that I was, pun intended, sleeping on this one, too. So when I was wearing my blood sugar monitor, I spoke about this before, I was shooketh at how much of an impact, you know, stress had on my blood sugar regulation. And for me, that was really... um, really prevalent to see when I was doing the Peloton ride. So I do an intense ride, which would spike my blood sugar and set it off for the rest of the day. Mind you, my body is fairly susceptible to stress and everybody can have individual responses to, um, high, high intensity activity. And we do actually want our blood sugar to spike a little bit with high intensity activity. Cause that's your body using some of those energy stores and putting them into the bloodstream so that you can utilize that for your activity. However, um, we do also want to look at the impact that stress in general, independent of exercise has on our blood sugar as a whole. So cortisol is our primary stress hormone. So when you are under stress or your body perceives stress, it secretes cortisol and cortisol has many, many functions in the body. Some of them are actually uh, very beneficial for us, but when we have prolonged cortisol exposure, this can, this is when it starts to be detrimental. One thing that cortisol does is impact insulin sensitivity. So if I'm under high periods of stress, my body is not going to be able to utilize that sugar in the bloodstream as effectively, and my cells are going to be less responsive to insulin's job of getting some of that sugar into the bloodstream. So this is why we often see those who have, you know, high stress, or maybe they've gone past that period of high stress, and now they're in a state of um, burnout where their cortisol levels are actually quite low. We see a lot of the time blood sugar dysregulations either really high blood sugar or really low blood sugar or swinging between those two and in working with lots of clients who have you know type 2 diabetes insulin resistance I also see this to be the case and I'll see uh, maybe it be a little bit more difficult for their them to keep their blood sugar stable when they're under periods of higher stress so stress and cortisol play a huge role on blood sugar balance and stability and so if you are dealing with blood sugar issues or even if you're not we all should be including some mis- Practices every single day that help us to mitigate that stress, build up our stress resilience, and help to support that uh, parasympathetic nervous system or that rest and digest mode.
1: So, just to confirm what you're saying, stress, for example, high intensity exercise in a short period of time, for example, even fasted or just acute amounts of stress, lifestyle changes, that can affect your blood sugar. But also, if that goes on too long, that acute uh, scenario can then become chronic if you've not dealt with this for a long period of time.
0: Yes, so high intensity interval training or like high intensity workouts is interesting because we always wanna look at it again, I say it's all the time in the context of the individual. So my body at the time that I was wearing that blood sugar monitor was under more stress than I maybe knew at the time. And so my individual response to doing fasted high intensity workout was not great. I had an increase in blood sugar into the bloodstream, which is again, a natural response in my body. Hey, you need energy. You're doing something intense. But it also set me off for the rest of the day. And in talking to some of our our friends, they also tested this out on themselves and their blood sugar was fine. You know, it went up a little bit. And then by the time it was over, it went back down.
1: Which is normal. Like a blood sugar spike is not necessarily bad in that situation. Your body is utilizing the glucose in your body for what it thinks is an emergency situation, which you is essentially then we can create an adaptation from that that's not a bad thing in that scenario so the Mm -hmm. context is important however the spill over from all of the other areas for example in sarah's situation here of her life of lack of rest maybe too many workouts in a day all of those things combined can then create the chronic issues
0: yes so again we always want to look at it in the context and and when you are under periods of higher stress those things like adding more stress to your body high intensity workouts you know fasting for long periods of time they are likely going to tip you over the edge and you might not necessarily realize it like i didn't in my case until they always say you can lie to yourself but you can't lie to the labs so it is important to really look at the context and always be evaluating you know i might not feel like i'm under stress but what are all the areas in my life that i'm adding stress to my body right? Maybe Sarah mentally doesn't feel that stressed out, but maybe Sarah's physical stress that she's putting on herself is really high. So even though I don't feel stressed out, hell yeah, my body is under a lot of stress. And so working on peeling that back and and looking at stress as this huge umbrella term and not just like, do I feel high strung in my mind is also really important. Because things like which we'll talk a little bit about, under sleeping is also a stress. Nutrient deficiencies. If you're in a dieting phase, that's also a stressor on the body. If you're overexercising, that's a stressor on the body, right? So all of these things that you know we might have started some of these habits or activities in a way that we thought was going to be beneficial or move us towards a certain goal, but over time they can actually come back to bite us in the ass, so they say. So if you want stable blood sugar or you want to support that blood sugar stability managing your stress and looking at it as a whole of stress demands on your body is really, really key.
1: Now, Sarah said one thing there that was actually quite interesting that stuck out to me. I more specialize in like high performance individuals and athletes. Sarah is a high performance person. And we have clients of ours that are high performance people, you know, like the high, high, high level entrepreneurs, for example, I would consider a high performance person. They need to be basically clicking in the top percentages at all times in order to maximize working with hundreds of employees and whatever billions of dollars of of net worth that they're trying to adjust and and work with. Those are high performance people. And typically, them and athletes, I see the exact same thing all the time is they run on stress so well for so long that our body gets better and better and better. And I know because I'm speaking from experience at using this stress for energy at all times you feel great, you are performing very, very well. But until you start to look at those metrics, and you don't realize actually the deleterious effects that are happening in the long term, because that is the typical thing that you see with high performance individuals and athletes is that things can be completely off the radar, like they will not have a clue how bad their blood sugar dysregulation is how bad their cortisol and stress is, because it actually makes them feel great. And that's something where, again, coming back to the measurability of things is really important. If you do have the opportunity to wear a continuous glucose monitor or use the finger pricker or even just start taking a deeper look into the notes and coming past the very superficial feeling of just high energy all the time from that stress, you're going to start to uncover a few more things.
0: Yeah, and I think it's also important, which... We'll do a podcast in the coming weeks, which will be on, you know, the four stages of adrenal dysfunction. And we'll talk more about this. It's also important to realize that when you're in those states where you're constantly pushing and you're constantly pushing and you don't give yourself a chance to rest or to pull back, you're just doing it. Like you don't really have the choice to be like, I'm tired. So you're just going through the motions and you're not really stopping to reflect and be like, wow, you know what? I actually am really burned out and I'm seeing how this is coming through in some other areas whether it's like your hormones your periods your sex drive right so again like we always need to to be reevaluating our lives into audit and say okay where am i potentially stressing my body out too much and how and where can i pull back and begin the process of chilling the f out
1: <laughs> and by the way nobody's perfect both sarah and i have gone through this and are going through this still i would say recovering from um So I I just assume if you are, I think most people that listen to this are probably high performance people. They want to get every squeeze out of the lemon and the best out of their lives. That's why you're here, right? So that's just kind of why I wanted to throw that in. Good chance I'm talking to you.
0: Yes. I always say, if you think that we're not talking to you, we probably are. (laughs) We're probably talking to you. (laughs) All right. So let's talk about rest, sleep, sleep, sleep. One of the most important things just in general, but also for your blood sugar stability. So there was a, there's was there been actually many studies that have been done to show the impact that under sleeping, even partial sleep deprivation for one night, partial sleep deprivation, some studies under six hours and one study even under seven hours. So not what you would consider like sleep deprivation. They're talking about less than eight hours of sleep can impact your blood sugar levels the next day. Talk to anyone who's had periods where they aren't sleeping that great. How are your carb cravings, right? How are your energy levels? How do you feel when you eat food, right? So all of these things that are are kind of signs and symptoms of our body or our blood sugar being off that pop up when we've had periods of undersleeping really are are our body telling us something. So there was one study done where they looked at um, people who were partially sleep deprived and in that specific study, it was five hours a night for a week. And their insulin sensitivity or their body's ability to regulate blood sugar decreased by over 25%, which is pretty major, right? So if many of us are kind of just borderlining that blood sugar balance, or maybe we have to, you know, like me, we have to be really mindful of everything that we're doing in order to keep that blood sugar stability with my family's history of of type two diabetes on both sides. And because I had pre diabetes, I do have to put in that extra little bit of diligence. So if I was going to go a week sleeping five hours or less, which I have not done in a very long time, my blood sugar would not be too happy, and so getting a good night's sleep is so important. Seven to nine hours is ideal. If you are at a point where you know you are under higher stress, or whether that's physical or emotional, even pushing eight to nine hours is optimal because one night of undersleeping can throw off your blood sugar the next day.
1: And again, I know we're probably talking to high performance individuals, and I know we grow up in this hustle culture where like you go on Instagram and all this hustle porn is being put out there basically saying, you know, sleep less, work more, all these things. I promise you, I promise you from one entrepreneur to the next it is not a good way to go about things in the long term.
0: And I'm just going to tie one thing into rest that I think is important to touch on that kind of goes back to the meal, which is letting your body rest in between meals or snacks, right? So another big issue with blood sugar is that some people are eating constantly all day, every hour, every two hours, just snacking on little things throughout the day. And these are tiny spikes to your blood sugar that is asking your body to secrete insulin, shuttle blood sugar away, or your body just simply cannot handle that much food or that uh, consistent schedule of eating. And so that's also gonna cause blood sugar issues if we aren't allowing our body enough time to utilize the energy we have in the bloodstream or to rest in between meals. That's not only gonna impact your energy levels, your blood sugar levels, but it's really gonna have an impact on your digestion as well. So trying to space, if you can, like three to five hours in between meals and snacks is really ideal.
1: I think you people are overwhelmed with information today. We <laughs> jam-packed And this part podcast. two is
0: coming up. This is just the basics, y'all. We haven't even gotten into the goodies.
1: So what's the next podcast going to be?
0: So the next podcast is going to be more advanced strategies for blood sugar balance. I'm going to talk you through how I reverse my pre-diabetes and how I've helped uh, many clients at Embodied Wellness to reverse their type 2 diabetes and insulin resistance as well. And so these are going to be a little bit more advanced strategies. And these are for the people who are already doing the things that we've talked about. When I found out that I had pre-diabetes, I was already doing most of these things. Mind you, my stress could have, of course, been improved, but with the blood sugar balance at meals having balanced meals you know always pairing my carbs and proteins my carbs with proteins or fats. I was already doing all the things quote unquote, but I wasn't actually doing all the things. <laughs> so these are going to be more advanced strategies that can help you to fine tune. If maybe you have been focusing a lot on the nutrition piece, getting in your daily walks, strength training, and you're still having blood sugar issues. Episode number two will really be, um, a little bit of a step further to help you troubleshoot that and to potentially help you have that last little push towards getting your blood sugar balanced and potentially reversing your type two diabetes, pre-diabetes or in. insulin. Insulin resistance.
1: That's for everybody who says, but I've tried everything. And you're like, is he calling me out? I mean, like, honestly, hey, we all do that in some area of our life. But yeah, I'm calling you out.
0: Yeah. And you know, (laughs) I think it's also important to recognize that you can be doing lots of incredible things for your body, right? I was eating balanced meals, eating whole foods, strength training, going out on daily walks, and our body can still have some stuff going on, right? So, I know it's, a lot of people get frustrated by that. They're like, oh, you know, but I'm eating so healthy and I still have X, Y, and Z issue. And it's like, okay, you have X, Y, and Z issue. Let's work on that. But
1: wait, there's more. Right?
0: Yeah, like... Beautiful. And potentially if you weren't doing all the incredible things you are for your body, we might be seeing different issues that could be more severe. So it's great. You already have a solid foundation. That's beautiful. We're not going to have to necessarily put in that foundation and then work on the problem. You have a great foundation so we can just fine tune and get your body back to balance. Right. So if you've been experiencing issues and you feel like you're living a relatively healthy life, good for you. Good job. You're doing amazing. And just take that as a benefit that you have a solid foundation. You can kind of skip that step and then move on to fine tuning. So always be focusing on a solution focused mindset rather than falling into that place of victim mentality, which I have seen really be a huge roadblock for a lot of people on their healing journey.
1: If you did love today's episode, I would love it. Love it. Love it. Love you. If you could, like, and subscribe. Uh, ideally, if you're on iTunes or Spotify, dropping a subscription and giving us a five-star rating is huge. That's how we get to reach more people. That and the biggest one of all is word of mouth. Love it if you could share it with some people. If there was an information in this episode today that you loved, and I know there was, we said lots of cool things. Um, please share it with somebody who you think is going to find this information or past podcasts useful for your life. Thank you so much. We'll see you next week.
0: See you next time, Wellness Gang. Thanks so much for tuning in.
1: Thank you for listening to today's podcast. This podcast provides general information and discussions about health and related subjects. The information and other content provided in this podcast or any linked materials are not intended and should not be construed as medical advice, nor is the information a substitute for professional medical expertise or treatment. If you or any other person has medical concern, you should consult with your healthcare provider and seek other professional medical treatment. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you may have heard on this podcast or any linked materials. If you think you may have a medical emergency, call your doctor or emergency services immediately. The opinions and views expressed on this podcast are of no relation to those of any academic, hospital, health practice, or other institution.